I went into this all wrong. I know better, but I did the thing where I assume because something is important or taboo in my culture, that it's the same for everyone. Our guest today is biracial. I wrote a beautiful outline with thought-provoking questions, with perspectives on race and childhood and moving abroad. Well, as you'll hear in the first few questions, race was not a topic of conversation in her family. Michelle Hines grew up in Panama. Because of its culture of being a melting pot of races, her parents' biracial relationship, it ends up, was nothing to talk about. Race was not the half of it, as you'll hear. Michelle eventually left her Panamanian bubble, she married someone from a different culture, and now she's a mom. How does all of this influence how she approaches international life? And how does it impact how she will talk about race in the future? Let's start the conversation. This is Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. So, welcome, Michelle. Hello. So, I have to be honest, before I met you, the only thing I knew about Panama was the canal. And even though I know you, I still don't know Panama. I would love your help before we learn about your personal story. Can you tell us a bit about the place you grew up? What is Panama? We have a strong belief that we are the bridge of the world, you know, and the heart of the universe. I think every culture has this. <laughs> but we have the Panama Canal and we are so proud of it to have this link between North and South America, uh, Europe and Asia and being the heart of the universe because of our unique location. You know, Panama is warm the year round, so it is tropical. We have coconut palms everywhere. Panama has Caribbean sea with, you know, so white, softy, sandy beaches that it feels like walking over the clouds. But we also have the Pacific, so we are surrounded by water. We, are, we have very strong connection to the water. People will see that on our food. Uh, we have ceviche. I don't know if you know it. Is uh, Oh, yes. The, the, raw, the raw fish. Thinly sliced fish. Yes. Oh. And ceviche is everywhere. You know, in every party, doesn't matter, children party, adults party, housewarming party, there is ceviche. Oh, not also ceviche, we also have, we love um, fried fish and seafood in, in all sorts. So the smell of the sea. So this is one of the things that I miss the most, the smell of the sea and the seafood coming like very strong. And can you tell us a bit maybe about the culture there and any history that has influenced the culture? History has a big impact. So Panama is vibrant. You know, we have culture influenced first by colonial Spaniards that they came and conquer us and we inherited their language. We speak Spanish. They also brought religion. Panamanian are mainly Catholics. It was not the case in my family. I never ask why, but, you know, we just go with the flow. But Catholicism is a is a major religion there. It's a major influence. Yes, yes, and you know this defines a lot of festivities and um, celebrations that mm. happen con uh, like regularly every year. And we like festivities. That is for sure. <laughs> the Spaniards they also brought the colonial Africans 
most probably slaves. Also, a big influence came from African and Tian people. People, um, these ones were not slaves. They came from the Antilles, the Caribbean islands. So they came to build the Panama Canal, by the way, to help um, the United States. And they stayed and they brought uh, their Creole English, their music, their dances. And as of today, I don't know a Panamanian that doesn't dance. No, we dance to every single bit of music. You name it. Salsa, merengue, reggaeton. Of course, we have our folkloric music. It's a type of cumbia that I will say still very popular among young people. Panama also has been influenced by Chinese. It's so common to go on the weekend on Sundays for a Chinese breakfast. Interesting. With all sort of dumplings, duck. And it's it's not like unique for Chinese people. No, it's, it's for every Panamanian. <laughs> uh, United States has influenced a big part, I will say, when they came to build the Panama Canal and, you know, they brought a lot of people that stayed and we also had a military base, military base. Mm-hmm. That was around the 70s when Panama started to claim back. And it was not until the 2000s we got complete autonomy on the Panama Canal. We were very happy. It was a major celebration. We feel very proud that we have managed to do it so far. So that's a bit of United States with us. We took all of that and gave a tropical twist to our indigenous origins because at the beginning of everything, we, we were indigenous people. So we still have groups, indigenous people, that they live in the rural areas, protected areas, and they have their unique traditions. They are a minority, I must admit, but they they protect their their heritage. You have a lot of different, not just cultures that influenced over the history of Panama, but a lot of different races that have come to call Panama home. Yes. But I have to ask, because I grew up in the United States where they say all men are created equal, but racism still exists. And it's not just people's opinions, which there are plenty of those, but structural racism exists. So things within the education systems, employment, benefits, and housing that create advantages and disadvantages for different races, which then, of course, impacts everything else. Does that kind of racial inequality, either the opinion side of things or the structural, exist in Panama? If it does, I never felt so. No. It never crossed my mind as a child or, I don't know, teenager or as an adult that I was less because of my race. So my mom is white. She's um, a mestizo in reality. So mestizo, mestizo is a mixture between Spanish and indigenous people from the colony times. And, you know, when they came to to the new world, as, as they call it, maybe they were running out of women and or not much women were on those boats <laughs> who came. So they start mixing with indigenous and we then an ethnic group we called mestizo was kind of define in the history books it's for us is it's a normal word is not not um it's not a racial slur or a negative no, not connotation 
Not at all. And then we have mulatto. And mulatto is the mix of this, either this mess, um, Spanish with uh, black, African black. Then you end up having a mestizo mixing with a mulatto. And Panama is this. You know, it's a melting pot of races. I come from this biracial family. My mom, white. My father is black with African descendants. And me and my brother, you know, we end up being mestizo mulatto. And in Panama, if, ever, if someone calls you mulatto, you don't feel offended. Because we're not a minority in Panama. I will say biracial families are, if not the most common type of families. I don't know, seven out of 10 are, are mestizos in Panama. So, or even 50% of the population could have a link to an African descendant. So going, for example, to school or public university. So my classmates, my friends, my friends from other schools, their friends, other neighborhoods, you know, you always have this diverse mix of races and it's so diverse that you don't feel different because of your skin color mm. so this gives you a, a picture i guess also to the audience that it's it's in us it's part of us we are diverse and we like it so then for you coming from a bi would you call yourself biracial if you were speaking english sure so coming from a biracial family living in panama was race or racism even a topic that came up at the dinner table? Did you have to talk about it ever? Never. Never. So maybe my parents will make some jokes. So my father, he did his uh, master's studies in the United States. So that will be in the early 80s. And he went with my mother, okay? In the 80s, they went to Connecticut. And they were a biracial couple and they will make some jokes about uh, some situations. They're like, people were like, ha, ah, look, in these are two together and what's going on. But for us in our dinner table, uh, racial topics were not common. My, It was more common, my mom saying, study hard. You will need that in the future. So for my mom, studying was a daily topic. Yeah. It's just interesting coming from the United States, especially with what's going on right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. Thinking that you as a biracial girl growing up never had to have conversations about race and that in the U.S., these black mothers are coming out saying, I have these conversations with my four, five, six-year-old because they need to know before they go out into the world what they're facing. And you never had to think about any of that in Panama. True. Is that shocking for you to see that on the news or? It is shocking because the way I grew up, racism was never an issue. And I, also, I always think about it. So I have family that lives in the United States. They are Blacks. And for them, it's always such a topic. And I get exhausted about it. Yeah. Like, why is this even a topic? So why? So, you know, we are we are in a modern world, but I've never had this issue in my life. So that's why for me, it might be difficult to understand. But they are exposed over there mm -hmm. uh, to a society that still 
struggles to understand this type of behavior or trying to make people feel afraid because of the color of their skin. Yeah. One of the first steps or one of the things that you did to break out of your family bubble, you actually went to the USA for an English camp in Boston. My father, he always incentivated my language learning. So he speaks fluently English. My grandparents, so his, his parents, they were speaking English. So my grandmother will speak English to me. And I went to bilingual school. So they, my father wanted me um, to learn or to, to practice more my English. And, yeah. you know, it was an abroad experience. It was for three months. Mm. Not living with my parents, that was, I was 21, I think, which in the United States, it happens earlier, I would say. Yeah, I left home, I left at 18. It's it's not common at all in Panama. So you stay living with your parents until you get either married to move to the new home. I think it's changing nowadays. Um I see my friends who have decided to be independent, which I support very much. I think this is a very important part in a, in a woman's life, at least as a woman. And this is what I was seeking. So I left to Boston for three months and this was like, like, a, like a bite, you know, like a, like a taste of, of what I could do if I was living abroad on my own. Your parents, you said lived in the USA in the 80s. So as you're getting ready to go to this English language camp and leave the bubble of Panama, did they talk to you at all about what to expect from the culture and potential racism in the US as a as a biracial woman? I'm trying to remember that one, but I will say that no. It's so interesting. No. It's no. so interesting. It, the lack of conversations is one of the most interesting things for me. And it's funny because your parents had been there and they had experienced it, the judgment. Yeah, the judgment and these, they will, they will, you know, they will, they will joke about it. Yeah. Perhaps my father, he had suffered a bit. He never said this to us. I, I don't remember. But um, for him was very, I think his message was your origins or your the color of your skin or this doesn't matter on the person that you want to be. This will not limit you to do what you want to do. Yeah. Focus on the future. Exactly. So for him, what was very important was to build a self-confidence on myself, to to have a plan, a purpose, and to go for it. He motivated me to go if I wanted to try. So after, after I went to, to this English language camp, I told him, like, I'm, I think I'm ready. I will finish my degree. And after that, I think I will try to go to Europe. And he said, if you want, then, you know, make your plan, try to see your options if you want to do it then you can do it. Mm, he sounds like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you told me that your father had inspired you in many ways, and you just mentioned getting your degree, and 
you said that your career path was one of the ways he inspired you. And you went for engineering. Yes. So I went to an, a university that had a very large engineering department. And one of my roommates was an engineer. She was a civil engineer. But I still remember her talking about being one of the only women in her classes. Wow. Was that the same in Panama or? No. 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 So women were not the minority in engineering in Panama. Not in in um, in my times, nor in my mom's times. My mom is an engineer as well. I studied electronic engineering. We were fifty fifty in this class, for sure. And you know, all my electronic engineering uh, colleagues, you know, we still catch up. So it's a it's a big bunch of women there. <laughs> in Panama, it is not seen like oh. If you're a woman, then, you know, you don't go for that type of careers. Okay, we have mechanical engineering. This one, I have to say, this one, normally women are a minority. Okay. But uh, like industrial engineering, even civil engineering, I have friends from here. It's it's very balanced. Because if, if this was the U.S., they would say, oh, this woman of color engineer, she's breaking the glass ceiling you do know this this saying i don't know it but i think i could imagine what does it mean for women yeah. it's that there's always been these limitations put on women that mm -hmm. they can or cannot do certain things and as they start to prove people wrong they're chipping away at the ceiling that's been put on them oh okay the glass ceiling okay okay and so it was more women are engineers and lawyers and judges and things like this, they're breaking the glass ceiling. And in the US, again, about race, if you're not just a woman engineer, but a woman of color, mm -hmm. then has a bigger implication. It's, oh, wow, look at what she's doing. No, in Panama. Not in Panama. Not in case. <laughs> not in, okay, in Panama, you know, it's like, like yeah, she wants to study this. And as I told you, my, my father he, and my mother, If I saw that at home, that was my home. My mom was an engineer. I remember, so she's an engineer professor at university. So I was going with her when I was a child to to her classes, and I grew up surrounded by this. But then my father, he has an engineering company. They do non-destructive testing, <laughs> very technical, but for the <laughs> for the maritime industry. So. I grew up between classrooms at the university and at the shipyard. Wow. You know, I grew up to this. So for me, that was, that was normal. It was my normal. It was your normal. But was it a, a Panama normal? It was a Panama normal, I need to think. I will say, yeah, why not? Um, I think about my, my cousins. Uh, she's an engineer too. <laughs> You're surrounded. <laughs> yeah. I think we are very encouraged to seek um, career. Artistic careers are not very well looked in Panama because people will say, oh, you will not make a living of that. And, you know, there's good people doing that. And in Panama, they tend to make you go through traditional careers. This is true. Ah, interesting. This, if it has historical backgrounds, because, you know, we were a new country developing, 
probably not many educated people, so they needed to start educating people and make this all these programs to have the opportunity for people to know learn abroad and bring knowledge it was very common on the like for my my father he could he had the chance to go to france for his engineering degree well he's mm-hmm. a chemist and then he went for engineering and because of programs that the government was doing in the 1950s Uh, until the 60s, 70s, for people to go abroad to learn and bring knowledge to Panama, uh, to the institutions, to the learning institutions. So they were focused on traditional careers, if I can call it like this. Yeah. Do you think that pressure still exists? So back when the country was developing, of course, they wanted maybe some of these traditional roles and things that would bring in money and intellectual property in a way, you know, people thinking Mm -hmm. and building. Does the pressure to have those type of careers still exist? Or can someone say to their mom, I just want to be a musician? It might be changing. I don't live in, I haven't been in Panama for the last 10 years. But now when I go there, I see it's more artistic. Yeah. What about with your generation? So in your age group, was the pressure still there to be engineer, doctor, teacher, lawyer, accounting? Yeah, definitely. Well, you also followed in your father's footsteps, not just, well, in your mother's and your aunt and your godmother and everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else around The whole story. (laughs) But you were inspired by your father again and decided to move abroad. So you got a little bit of an itch after you went to the U.S. and you experienced a different culture and a life outside of Panama. And so then you said, okay, I'm going to do it again. And where did you go? I went to Portugal. Why Portugal? It was not planned. I went to apply for like an internship and I picked the one with the longest time outside. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't matter which country it was. It didn't matter to me which country. What mattered to me was to have like a long, because I had already three months, so I didn't want to go three months for, for an internship. I wanted something like a year. So there was this company uh, in Portugal offering a one-year internship, and I applied to it. And in a year, you you get to know a lot about yourself. So I think in reality, what I was looking for was to be on my own, yeah, uh, to learn to be to be myself and to experience and have my own experiences. So I went for a year and I ended up there for four. Yeah, no judgment for me. I I came here for six months and it's been twelve years. Yeah, you see, so you can- I have no room to judge. <laughs> <laughs> so you originally go for a year. Yes. Even if it would have just been that, what did you hope to gain? So you wanted to know yourself better. Did you want to learn the language, advance your career in any way? I wanted to learn the language, but, you know, Spanish and Portuguese are not the same, same, but the same. <laughs> um, I will say someone who speaks Spanish will learn very fast. I was, you know, I was speaking the language. I was having this internship. I was renting an apartment on my own. Uh, things I couldn't imagine uh, if I was in Panama. And then I found my master's degree, and then I met André. You continue to find more reasons to stay. Oh, 
Okay, I think we can talk about love now. Are you ready? I'm ready. While you're in Portugal and you keep trying to find reasons to stay abroad, you find one of the best reasons. Yes, I did. Yes. But so, oh, uh oh, but what? If Andrew is listening to this, he will say, correction, you, Michelle, you didn't find love. Love found you. Oh. I'm quoting him, okay? <laughs> Why does he say that? Because he was the one who had eyes on me. Oh. We were working at the same company where I did internship, but he never talked to me. So I remember, we talk about this and we joke. So we were traveling on the same metro line to the office. I remember vaguely seeing him, but he remembers like picture perfect, Aww. the moments. But he never talked to me. He never talked to me. And it was only until I started studying at university, he had changed job. And he was working at the university. And we crossed. And I think he saw me and he said, okay, now I need to talk to her. <laughs> and then he invited me for a coffee. However, I don't drink coffee. And normally I reject all the coffee invitations that I had in Portugal because, you know, for me, I don't go for a coffee. I, it, I don't drink coffee, you know. But, but I learned that in Portuguese, going for a coffee is kind of a date. <laughs> it doesn't mean coffee. <laughs> it doesn't really mean coffee. It could be, you know, water if you want. Oh, so many missed opportunities because you thought they just wanted you to drink coffee. But you see, it's a cultural thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of cultures... Well, like myself and a lot of my guests, you and this man, you're from different cultures. Was that one of the things that he found attractive is that you were different from him? I, I really don't know. I would need to ask him. Is that something you found attractive in him is that he was different, that he wasn't Panamanian? Definitely. Yeah, that, that was a thing because, you know, I was at that point like, you know, in the mix of, you know, Erasmus uh, students, like so many international people and, you know, getting to know how different we are. And for me, that was very like thrilling, like, you know, exciting. And I even think with my Panamanian friends, like, oh, you know, like being together with someone from the same, you know, Panamanian, Panamanian, I don't know, it's, it's kind of boring. Like you don't have different topics or, you know, like disagreements. Yeah, where's the challenge? Yeah, where's the challenge? Or, you know, where's the, I don't do it this way, but you do it that way. In my country, we do it like this, but in your country, you do it like this. Anyways, even though, you know, you will say Portugal has, uh, well, a kind of a Latin culture, not really. No, not really. They are they are very different. Uh, they don't dance. How, how how is that even possible? I was gonna say, how is that possible? Yeah. Well, I don't know if if my man is not a dancer, but no, I think I've I when we went out, so you know, like for salsa or this, you know, partner dance, they just they don't do it, and and for me it was like, okay, I don't know if I can deal with that, but you know. In the years, he realized how, how important that was for me, and he tries. And for me, that's the most romantic thing ever, dancing with him. So I enjoy every second of it. <laughs> so you grow up in Panama, you have a little U.S. experience, you get an itch for international life, you move to Portugal which was supposed to be about a year, you stretch it out to four years. 
you meet I'm sorry, he finds you, the love of your life, <laughs> finds you so that he doesn't correct us later. <laughs> and that's not the end of the story. You become, but like you've just said to me, you've transformed, you've transformed into a mom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm here translating my Spanish into today. It's yeah. good though. You know what? I love when we translate different languages into different languages because sometimes we come up with new ways to say things that actually explain a situation better in a way that we never thought we could. The power of language. <laughs> but with this transformation into motherhood, you said to me that becoming a mom has changed you tremendously including your perspectives on career as an engineer. My normal was that I grew up in a house where my mom was an engineer. She had a professional career, but she also had this extended family, you know, grandmother, grandfather, aunts that they rely, that she will rely to help raise me up because, you know, she had working schedules. My father too so I was at my grandmother's house after school, and then she would pick us up and we would go home to homeworks, etc. I don't think motherhood is a barrier, so it's it's I saw it was possible to do so. That's that's my normal. But then I'm being a mom in a different culture uh, where I see a big percent of moms they stay at home or they work few hours. So for me that was new. Uh, some of them by choice, others like there's no other option. And I've seen also moms that they have decided for a professional career and then they are judged as poorly mothers. Mm-hmm. It's a society with, you know, an incredible and amazing support to women in motherhood. So I would say unbelievably good. Uh, I would say dream off, you know, honestly, I had what a year and a half and it was incredible. But I also see from, I will say, technical part or as an engineer that women are not um, equal uh, in the workforce. So I work in a department, I don't know, with maybe 20, 25, and we are three. Three women out of 25. Yeah. So for me, it has it has always intrigued me before, even even before being a mom. I was like, why? So in Germany, you know, you have top quality education. Germans have a, a, a woman chancellor. And for me, it was, you know, they were sending a very clear, clear message. So for me, it's like a paradox. You know, if this is a choice of a mother that only wants to dedicate to motherhood, I support that. If a mother wants to have a professional career, I support it as well. So what I, my support is for women doing whatever their choice but, you know, to make it possible, a career and a family, you, we don't have here, or at least in our case, we don't have an extended family here. No. The community, yes, but, you know, it, it's not the type of community where I grew up. So you need to have a lot of balance here. You need a lot of commitment uh, from both parts, so father and mother, you know, schedules working, you know, ticking the clock. I'm new to this. I will say I'm I'm learning in the process. I I am a mom. I want to be a mom. I enjoy being a mom, but I also enjoy working. And I want to work, but I want to work uh, with this flexibility. And all this, you know, makes me think on how I want to go forward in my professional career. Do you think 
the way you were raised, so in Panama with the culture of Panama, but specifically in your family with engineers and highly motivated people who are thinking about the future, that that's influenced how you're approaching motherhood and the balance between motherhood and career? I definitely agree. Because if I think about motherhood in Panama, you know, there's no, there's maternity leave, I, I think like for three months. And I would have been crushed if I could only stay with my little daughter for three, four months. And they have to go to work full time. There's no part time because you're a mother. And at the end, I see friends, family that, you know, they, they had their professional careers. I don't know if they wanted to or, you know, they just had no option. Mm. Uh, you know, and when you have options, then you start you start thinking about it, <laughs> like why this and why not, and then. So then, living abroad in Portugal and now Germany, mixed with the experience you had in your childhood and the influence of your working mother, you're mixing all of these kind of opinions and standards and values together as you try and figure out how you want to move forward as a mother with a career. Yes, and you know. I've never crossed my mind, but could be that uh, for a German woman to be a mother and to stay home, uh, it, this is what they want to do. And this is their normal. This is their normal. Yeah. And, and, you know, they are as uh, for me, the important is that they 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 are happy with it. It's interesting when interacting with other cultures, when we're kind of confronted in a way about how we process life and consider what we consider to be normal when we see something that challenges that. And we're like, wait a second. No, I feel like your rights are being, wait, are your rights being taken away? I'm not sure. Yeah. Wait, do you? To, truly, that's so true. You know, uh, being back to work, listening to the word, oh, take it easy. And I'm like, huh? What are you saying to me? Are you saying I'm fragile? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I, Are you I, saying that because I'm a woman? I feel offended, but probably someone else wouldn't feel offended. I think, yeah, I I know exactly where you're coming from with that, especially living in Germany. When I think of someone, if I go to work and someone says, oh, take it easy, they really do mean take it easy, keep your health, because it's a collective thing. If you get sick, I could get sick. Let's just all keep it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They really want you to just take yeah, it easy. Take it easy. And for me, it's like, what are you saying? Yeah. I, you know, I feel offended, like, because I'm a mother, I need to take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, different, different cultures and, uh, yeah, different stories that we have lived in our lives. Yeah. So, has motherhood made you think about your own identity, who you are as a Panamanian and, and also now that you've got a daughter who is, so you're, you've got the biracial from your two parents and now she's also got your husband's racial makeup, cultural makeup, heritage. Are you looking at race and culture in a different way now that you've created a, another human being? And, you know, my parents, they passed me, I would say, a good loving message that there are no barriers on the color of the skin. And for me, that's that's a clear message uh, to pass. So this is not lim the, your race will not limit you 
to to be who you want to be. I think from Andre's opinion is the same. So for him, this is not a limitation. Earlier, when at the start of our conversation, you mentioned some words that are the category racial categories in Panama that you and your brother are. Can you? What were those words again? Uh, mulatto. Yeah, and and mestizo. Uh huh. Do those apply to your daughter? <laughs> well, uh, how to put it? Um, she could be. Uh, she could be a mulatto because at the end, let's put it like this. So Andre is a Hispanic colonial uh, type. So we did this, our DNA, and, you know, he's he's very pure Hispanic. Mine was like Hispanic, African, indigenous, very South American as well. Anyway, so Eva is is like a, I will put it like a, a like a mulatto born in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she has such a a mix on her roots, amazing. And you know, living here in Germany, she will even you know learn multiple languages at the very early years, as yours, you know. Oh yeah, I just think because I think this for my own children, since they've been born in a different country from my country and my husband's country, I think someday they'll ask me, well, but what am I? True. And how to answer. Have you thought about how you're going to answer that for Ava? So it's there's the culture side, but she also has the racial side. Would you say to her, is she biracial? Is she, you know, if she says, Mom, what am I? What do I call myself? <laughs> it's a difficult question. <laughs> well, yeah. well, she's a Panamanian Portuguese born in Germany. Yeah. Do you think when you talk to her about these things, you'll stick with geographical points and culture points rather than race? Um, you know, nowadays information is everywhere. And those racial uh, situations that um, affect in the United States are more, you know, absorbed nowadays all over the world. And it needs to be discussed. But it also needs to be understood. And um, I, I didn't grow up with this. I, I didn't live it. So, so for me, it's also very difficult to understand, to be honest. So discussing and understanding and dissecting race is actually new to you. Definitely is. As a 30-something-year-old woman, you're having to start talking about race as a biracial woman. When, when you approach me about this, I was, okay, you know, let's, it's interesting. Let's, let's talk about it. It's not that I constantly talk about it or that I even talk about it with uh, family or friends. Yeah, there's always the um, the talk between you know international friends, you know, to get more background of where you come from and to understand a little bit about you, but it's not like an intense discussion. Yeah, I like to dig. You know, that's what <laughs> because I think you you said it. You know, when you're having coffee or you're eating Chinese food or whatever, you don't go deep into anything. You don't. Th- 
dig into any real conversation. And I think I'm using this platform and this podcast as an opportunity to say, let's just dig a little bit. Let's talk about something. And also let's show the other people. Yeah. I think one of the the biggest insights I'm getting from this conversation is that the importance, and I'm putting air quotes on this, the importance of race is very different in different countries. It definitely is. I I wonder how, so me as a Panamanian, but how in other Latin American countries would be, and I wouldn't be surprised, it's so different from the story I'm telling you, because we Latin Americans, we, you know, we embrace and I'm not saying other cultures uh, not, but it has been part of our culture. It has been part of us, this mixing of uh, and having as a result a, a diverse racial makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having, I don't know if it was a difficult conversation, but an unusual conversation for you, it sounds like, to help an American girl understand a little bit more about Panama. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it. I know things about Panama now. <laughs> a big thank you to Michelle for sharing her story. Not only did I learn about Panama, much more than a canal, by the way, and about life as a female engineer and a new working mom, I was able to challenge some of my assumptions about race. But that conversation is far from over. I look forward to every interview for the ways I can challenge my thinking and gain perspective. I hope you join me along the way. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen.